Hello and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast with me, Alexis Powell Howard. I'm joined today with two people from Humberside Police. We're going to be talking about a topic that is really sensitive area, I think, and affects a lot of people directly or indirectly uh, throughout our lives. Um, and it's a, it's a word that can strike, strike fear into the hearts of most of us, I think. Um, we're going to be talking about cancer and um, one lady's particular story about their experience and also from an organisational point of view how people who are struggling or going through treatment um, can be supported within the workplace and looked after in terms of their well-being. I'm joined today by Janice Walker who's the Operational Police Training Sergeant. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> and Lorraine Cowley who is the Occup- uh, Senior Occupational Health Advisor for Humberside Police. Welcome. Good morning. So we're going to be talking a bit about this subject today and I'm conscious that obviously it can affect an awful lot of people and you know um, can impact whole families and whole friendship groups and whole organisations really. Um, From your perspective Jan, what kind of story have you got around your diagnosis? I know it's about 10 years ago now. It was uh, 10 years ago um, and I had a family history so my mum had died while I was still at school so to be honest I'd always had a little bit of a fear. a fear of cancer before I even found out I'd got it. I probably already had an idea that will it happen to me? Mm. Um, and so I'd already gone for genetic counselling, um, and at the time they said my risk was low enough that um, they wouldn't actually send me for the test. They did later, but at that time they said they wouldn't, but they would um, do a, a, an annual test with me. So I had a mammogram every other year and a manual uh, nurses check for breast cancer. This was. Um, and I was two weeks away from my uh, mammogram and I was just telling my partner about how they squish your boob mm. in the plates and, and I did it with my hands and kind of went whoa it's, it's actually a bit uncomfortable when they do that and I physically did it to myself and found a little lump through wow. that action and kind of thought and, and my head went straight to my history at that point so and, and that's really where it started and the rest of it was um, several years of of going through lots of things I'd never even thought of, surprises, um, funny moments, sad moments, frightening, scary things, you know, it was the whole mm. gamut really. Mm. But that's where it started. And lots of, I know people I've worked with therapeutically who've gone through a, mm. a journey with cancer of different diagnoses, but um, there's that massive sense of uncertainty and, you Huge. Know, yeah. Huge. You, you you have no idea. I mean, really, in reality, we all don't know what the future holds, but it really brings it home. Mm. At that particular moment, you think, oh, this was July when I first found the lump. And I'm already thinking, oh, will I be here at Christmas? Mm. It makes you start to think in a whole radical way that you've not thought of before. Um, you look around the people. I was in what I would consider a relatively new relationship. I'd been divorced. I was in a three-year relationship thinking, oh, gosh, I don't know how this wasn't well as I said to him this isn't what you signed up for um, um, because you kind of think how do people around you going to react to it is not just me mm. I'm going to go through something now that somebody's inevitably going to have to kind of go with with me mm. um, children my children were sort of late teens so older but you still think how do they cope um, and your head is all over with all the questions just questions um, and, and no answers actually either no answers at things. all no no answers at all um, you everything is waiting for the next checkup and the next test and the next 
assessment um, and that goes on for a long time mm -hmm. so you, you've got to learn to reconcile lots of different uh, things in your life that you, you just haven't really contemplated much before. How did you manage that mentally around because um, immediately there you're thinking about everyone else mm. and obviously the diagnosis is, is your diagnosis yes. but you're right the, 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 the relational aspect of of being a person yeah. in a family yeah. is that there's lots of people who are worried and concerned and then you know you're worried and concerned about them as well and I guess mm -hmm. how you manage what you tell them and how you say things and how you are does that did that factor in for you yeah I mean I'm a really open person so I shared um and, and was told everybody who wanted to know really anything they wanted to know and, mm -hmm. I, and I've, I've kind of maintained that and that helped me some people are far more private and, and need to be and I get that but actually sharing it helped me. Um, it was things like, it was my daughter's 18th birthday party, which it was a Kaylee, she wanted a Kaylee and I was doing the supper. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the day after treatment one, chemotherapy. Um, and you've no idea, I'm thinking, will I be well enough to do this? Will I be able to well enough to produce the food and be there at the party? And um, so you, you think about so many things. Um, I suppose you only learn gradually what the answers are. For me, walking, going out and you would think when you were out walking in the countryside with the dogs your head would be so busily taken up with with being preoccupied about your worries but actually I found it cleared my head mm. um, it was the very opposite it worked for me I don't know why I can't explain that but so long as I was walking and looking at the open countryside I could just forget you know it's funny I was just thinking you were saying that you know when you're out walking like that there's something about physically moving forward as well you know like you you're moving forward and I think that can be almost in the background of going on a walk and taking your dogs and watching them live in the moment and you know kind of being the here and now it brings yeah, you it back into what's important I enjoying the sunshine or the beauty of the the valley you're walking through you know walk upon through the Yorkshire worlds and things and you um wildflowers butterflies it didn't matter what it was you, it is that beauty of the moment that perhaps mm. it just draws your attention and you just get some pleasure out of that um I was the worst for Googling. Um, Google, Google doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people do, some people don't. Again, I mean, I found some really useful sources of information. I found some useful forums where I didn't feel so alone because you kind of realise so many other people are experiencing this too. But I also found things that then would set me into a total panic mode because I think I've read something now that I'm not sure what that means. And um, one of my consultants did one day say to me, you're... You're the sort of person who wants answers, aren't you? Um, and obviously others, you realise there's a difference between patients and, and actually you, you, you consultants and doctors are waiting to get the indication from you because mm. some people don't want to know. Mm. I, you know I've no, known other people go through it who would say, don't give me any detail, just treat me. Yeah, just get um, on with it. Yeah, mm. and it took, again, you're learning things. It took a while for things to drop into place and me kind of go, oh, okay, my consultant hasn't explained that to me. But props, they weren't explaining it to me because I hadn't expressly said, yeah. tell me. Mm. So once we understood each other, then yeah. it was like, yeah, I, I need to know. I need things explaining. Mm. I guess it's quite tricky for them to know who wants that information, who doesn't. Yeah. It takes a while to kind of form that relationship with your consultant to yeah. know each other well enough. Yes, and you have two or three, mm. depending what treatments you're going through. So um, that varies. But yeah, I, I felt like it was a period of months as I worked out what worked uh, for me. Going to work worked for me too, mm -hmm. uh, and I was very fortunate with my management that they 
you need so much flexibility um, about your appointments and things and how you might be feeling on a given day. Um, but I wanted to go in. I know some people want to be away from the workplace for a while and get their heads clear and things. But for me, as much normality as I could keep going, mm. the be- more of that, the better. Mm. Um, and with the flexibility I was given, we could achieve quite a lot together, I thought, at work. And that made me still feel, again, distracted and doing something else that didn't make me and my life was all about cancer. I was going to say, because you've got purpose as well that's outside of that diagnosis, yeah. isn't it? And, you know, otherwise you become defined by yes. what you're going through. Yeah. Um, and also, I suppose, if you feel like you are making progress at work and, you know, you're valued there as well, that, that all of that's really important. And, and you're mm-hmm. right, some people really don't want to do that. Or I've worked in organisations where someone's had a diagnosis and I've heard other people say, why would you carry on working? Why wouldn't you be at home? Yeah. But it is very individual. At home was too much time to Google. <laughs> think. Um, so that didn't really help me. Um, the distraction of work. Was so really... there was a distraction. There was um, companionship. I was taking pressure away from partner and children as well, mm. because if you're at home, they're still thinking, "Well, I've got to go to work." And so is Mum all right? You know, is partner all right? Because she's sitting at home. Is John all right? Um, it's kind of like sharing it because your colleagues are taking care of you a little bit as well they're helping you I you know bless them I've bent plenty of people's ears about things um at work who who would perhaps give me a a little time to chat through how I was feeling that day or whatever so you you're also sharing the load a little bit aren't you yeah the support work this sorry the support network is wider I suppose isn't it um but the flexibility thing the bit that was important there was when you went for appointments, you didn't know how long they would take. Sometimes mm. they were hours because something would come up in that appointment um, and you'd you'd be so much longer before you got back to work. Mm. Um, sometimes you went for appointment. I can remember going for scan results, uh, which were a really key part of your cancer... Um, I want to avoid that word, journey. We all say, don't we? Part of your cancer journey. Um, that you, you go for your... Risk, your body scan to see mm. if there's any spread and obviously that's a really key bit waiting for that information and and I was all keyed up and fired up and ready to go and when I got there they didn't have the results and so my m- sort of ability to go back to work and focus on work that afternoon was a bit off um, and it's about that flexibility from your management to say right now I can't actually do that but the flip side was sometimes in occupational health uh, my lovely nurse would say to me Jan, I don't think you should be coming back in yet. And I go, yeah, I can, I'm ready. I want to come and do four days. Mm. Uh, four hours, sorry, four days. Four hours in a day and, and start to, you know, and it's, wow, oh, it's only a couple of weeks since you had that operation. I'm like, yeah, no, but I'm ready and I know. Mm. So we achieved a good balance, I thought, between us as well, between them kind of me saying, I, I, I know I'm ready and I can do this. And then the other days when I kind of went, I can't actually do this. Mm. I and I think it's being away. able to say that, isn't it? It's being able to say, I, yeah. I, and be honest. Because I was just there was a couple of things going through my mind when you said that. One was about trusting, having that trusting relationship with your occupational health nurse, that that you could have that open conversation yes. and be realistic about what was, what you could do, yeah. but also trusting your inner instincts that I can and I need to, yeah, be able to come back in to do those four hours, yeah. Hmm. I did get sent home by my boss one day who looked at me and went you are not <laughs> fit to be Forget here it. you need to go home <laughs> and, I, and you know he was he, he was probably right that day I kind of a couple of hours in I'd over did, did it but um, being given the opportunity to say I, but I feel I want to come 
even that that just being able to have some control it's that little bit of control back in your life because you've lost so much of it in other ways isn't mm. it mm. so that was important mm. Lorraine just from your perspective in terms of occupational health do you can you kind of relate to John's story there about those that flexibility that's needed and definitely I mean it is really really important to listen to the person mm. and it, it is a case of having that compromise do you know because as Jan said, Jan knows exactly how she was feeling. The occupational health nurse will have that sort of medical sort of background. Mm. Um, sometimes they the don't exactly sort of meet in the middle, so you have to have that compromise. But what you don't want to do is go in and sort of instructing the person what to do. Do you know, say, no, I think you need to do X, Y, Z. This is my, you know, professional medical opinion. Because then, like Jan says, you know you feel like you're losing control mm. you haven't got all control over your full life anymore you have those feelings of loss of control so we want to sort of support that individual to keep that control mm. over sort of work when they come to work as well and seeing that individual not just as somebody who's going through cancer treatment but seeing them as the person that you knew before that who was you know working in the organization mm. and that identity because I think that's the bit for me is you can become quite defined by yeah. the experience. It is. It's not becoming, you know, it's like you're a person who has cancer at that moment. It's like you are not the cancer. Mm. And it is really sort of distinguishing that, you know, you're still an individual. You have individual needs. You have, you know, you, some people do want to be at work. And you're right, which we discussed earlier. Some people just they don't have the space in the head to think about work as well it is too consuming for them um, and they just you know cannot free any space to concentrate and to actually focus in the workplace mm. and it's not just a physical illness it's a massive sort of psychological impact as well mm. so it's making sure we're taking care of the physical and the psychological needs mm. you know we're not there to sort of treat we, we're not involved in any treatment, you know, that's very separate from us, but we are there to make sure that the person has, you know, support, um, that the line manager has support as well, that's important, because quite often line managers will come to us and say, what do I do? Um, is it okay to ask if they're okay? Do you know, what can I ask? What's normal? I was like, do you know, they're still an individual, just talk to them normally, but, you know, one of the worst things what often gets fed back to us is sometimes because of that feeling uncomfortable, not wanting to discuss that cancer word, mm. it's you'll get that walk past in the corridor, hi, are you okay? And you say, yeah, I'm fine, because that's what we do. Mm. Whereas it's important, we always express to line managers, you know, take five minutes, go away, you know, have a coffee for five, ten minutes, you know, in private, then ask how somebody is, if they need any more support in the workplace, if they're coping you'll get a, a more accurate response you'll mm. you know you'll be able to work together as a team and you're right it's, you're so right about confidence I think from being a manager and you know having a team of people and having the confidence to be able to go and actually have a conversation about mm. how somebody's doing and talk about cancer which is often our worst fears um, and what the experience is for that person but also have the confidence as a manager to be able to be flexible and to you know make decisions based on that individual rather than the policy the overall the policy. policy yeah because because I think when people aren't sure they go back to the policy or they go back to that rigidity around what I'm supposed to do 
yeah. they lose that bit about what's actually going on for that person in their team and what impact is it having on other team members as well because you know that happens as well doesn't it we don't work in isolation we're working within groups mm-hmm. and yeah line managers are, you know again flexibility um, it's quite often we do recuperative duty plans for a phased return or while someone's having treatment and it's like what do you mean it's not four hours every day some days it might be some days it might not it's really hard explaining the needs for the flexibility and you know we are getting there Mm. Uh, I think you know we have some brilliant managers within the organization and again from the manager's perspective it is just having that confidence that you know not everything fits within a policy that sometimes you do need a flexibility and you do have to sort of stand outside of that policy on occasion. Mm. It's an awful thing that cancer has become so common that it's something like one in two I think now isn't it that yes, in the, the lifetime. Uh, is it the bake-off where they always kind of give you the uh, statistics the at the end stats. and you kind of look yeah. around your family and think right that's half of yeah. us. Yeah <laughs> but I think there is a, f- a, f- a good flip side to that which one of the things I was very fortunate in is that my manager's uh, wife had had breast cancer and he'd mm. seen it firsthand what it was like to, to so he kind of knew some of what was going to come my way uh, and that probably made it a little bit easier but now so many people have experienced it and have somebody somewhere within their colleagues or family or friends that I think the understanding in the country generally mm. is, is so much better it around is. cancer um, I mean I you know years ago and I said my mum had died when I was still at school and in those days it was really still quite unusual and, mm. and pe- you could tell people hadn't a clue what to do now I think there is a it is better mm. people do have sadly more experience of it mm. and there is a, there's a good side to that there is and there are those specific characteristics and sort of phases in treatment and things that you will so go visible. through <laughs> it's so visible but there, there, there are also you know remembering that again everyone's an individual everyone will cope differently some people will have side effects from treatment some people will have less side effects going back to the should I return to work or not Mm. because some of the side effects from some of the medications or the treatments can be quite disabling Mm -hmm. at times I mean depending on the type of cancer you know you may start out with having to have a surgical procedure again that can be physically limiting and mm. um, limiting um, it might be that you then need radiotherapy mm. which again takes a lot of time because it's a daily treatment over a significant number of weeks quite often yeah. and that can cause localized issues like burning to the skin yeah. fatigue people do not realize how tired they're mm. going to feel and it's distinguishing as well between feeling tired and feeling fatigued which yeah the two very different yeah, things are very different levels aren't they yeah. and also i think sometimes as well feeling really low you yeah. know because you're taking a battering aren't you mentally but also very much physically as well and how you how you recognize that especially when you're feeling fatigued because it can all feel quite similar can't it feeling quite low and physically low as well as mentally there's the other um, bit of it as well because you because it is a very visible thing as i say you know the when you lose your hair and you lose mm. your eyebrows eyelashes and the ways you and your skin pallor goes a little different you, you you can't hide it so people know and i think sometimes that awkwardness that people feel when they meet you in the corridor and they're kind of oh especially if they haven't seen you for a while mm. um but even when you get so that you're looking better hairs coming back and you're actually you're all nice and radiant and you're doing quite well you might even have got past the stage of treatment 
I can still remember having some real... I used to drive past Castle Hill Hospital where I had all my mm. treatments to come to work. It was my daily route. And sometimes, I can't even explain to you why, but as I came by, it would be like a... I could barely even glance left that place. I had a, a sort of mixed relationship with it. There was a point when I almost missed it because my life was this routine of hospital mm. appointments and somebody looking after me. So when they released me into the wild and kind of went, off you go, Jan, you're okay now. I was like, oh, really? Can't mm. I, can I stay I, a little bit longer? Am I not coming back for another six months? That's an awful long time because I've been coming here twice a week um, or more. And so you look apparently completely well at work, but actually you're still feeling a bit fragile and it can take the smallest of things like a, you know, um, Bake Off for Cancer or yeah. one of the other charity fundraisers they do, Stand Up to Cancer is Stand Up to Cancer, that's right. Stand Up to Cancer. When they do those sort of things, sometimes, you know, I can just go right back into uh, a feeling of being, you, almost, you, you feel a little bit guilty because, you know, I see... I had my treatment and I'm still here and they're often very sad stories and mm. uh, younger people and children and so you go through all sorts of mixed emotions that all come flooding back and but you're apparently better you're well mm. you're well so it, it you know on the whole life's fine but just occasionally even now it, it, something can happen that just makes you kind of go into that place of thinking oh it's all come flooding back mm. um or meeting somebody else, a new colleague who's kind of going through some of what you've gone through, and you sit down to talk to them and help them, but it, it, it brings your own memories flooding back. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, brought to you in partnership with Fortis Therapy and Training, Oscar Kilo, and Humberside Police. But even carrying fear now with COVID this year, mm. I realised there was a little bit of me, um, and it was something my husband said actually. He mentioned um, that if I get an illness, it tends to floor me. So a virus that made him think, well, we had a few months ago, we both had the same virus. I was out of it for a couple of days and he was fine. Now that might be absolutely nothing to do with yeah, my could just be how it would have been anyway. Literally mm. nothing. But it, I know when he said, you, you, tend to, you, you must be careful at work. You must be careful because, you know, when you get something, it tends to hit you. And I flick back to that thinking... Did the chemo do anything to me? Did it? Because I had it for a long time. Mm. Um, and I think, did it, did it do anything? Because you don't kind of know, really. Did it do something that has made me a little bit more susceptible? You ask that kind of question. I was going to say, it just creates a question mark, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know. And yeah. maybe not. And I guess I'll never know. But it, And most of the time, I, I don't need to think about it. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Mm. But just occasionally when something like that comes onto the horizon and you think... So if I did catch coronavirus then, would I be a little bit more vulnerable because of some un- unknown Because mm. of this question mark, because yeah. of that this, yeah. chemo had all those years ago. Mm. And it's just that, so that kind of, it, just in the little bit in the background, it can just play up now mm. and again. On the whole, vast majority of the time, it, you know, the, the memory's a distant one. Mm. But just occasionally something will come back up where you just, perhaps just have to kind of think, ooh. Ooh, mm. ooh. Yeah. I feel a bit nervous at work and you know, and, and have that understanding and conversation, still being able to have that conversation at work with you with your managers as well. What sounds really helpful is that you because you said earlier about, you know, I do talk about things and yeah. you know, I've just felt that, that was your coping mechanism was mm. just to be honest and talk yeah. about where you were at. Um I suppose I'm thinking about those people who maybe don't do that and keep it very private or don't yes. 
don't want to talk about it because I think when we talk about it we have to kind of hear ourselves say things yeah. uh, and, that, and I guess that's what happens in therapy you know you hear yourself say something I can't believe I've just said that out loud you know that's what I'm really thinking when you don't process things in that way that kind of can stay internally I guess um, and I'm wondering what the impact of that has on people who are working you know if they if they're not being able to kind of have those conversations with say in occupational mm. health or they're not approaching their manager and saying actually this is going on for me at the minute I think you've got be- to be able to help people uh, as a manager uh, and, and this isn't cancer actually this is about my student officers mm. because student officers are brand new into the organization they've started this whole new career it's maybe something they've been wanting to do all their lives and they've waited two or three years through the recruitment process and suddenly they find themselves going through some kind of emotional crisis about actually is this job for me or something literally is going on that's a personal family crisis whatever and that's come right in the middle of them this whole new career change um, and I spend a lot of time talking to people in those in those situations as, as the supervisor in there. Mm. And I know that the people who open up and tell you, I feel like I can help you because you're telling me yeah. and we can explore the issues. And I sometimes get the ones who are very closed, very private. And it's about trying to find some other way then to say, OK, I, I, I hear that you don't particularly want to tell me uh, or discuss it in here. Mm. But I want to try and find you some way. So if you lead me on what is it that's going to help you? Mm. You know, and I'll try and help you find that 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 thing, mm. um, that person, or, or whatever it is. And I think it's the same. You, as a supervisor, you can only ever try. And I mean, I've had other colleagues who've been sent to me to talk to, say, look, Jan's had cancer. She'll talk to you. You've, you've just been diagnosed and things. And I have had conversations with people, and I can understand their very different responses. Maybe a little bit more closed. Um, and you're just trying to find their happy place aren't you my walking you know my googling and walking and sharing that's that was for me but it doesn't work for everybody Mm. so it's just it's that listening thing again isn't it tell you tell me what helps you Mm. and then we can try and facilitate it for you Mm. that's the key i think not always easy to do with somebody who doesn't want to talk no it's not and exactly what you say some people just do not want to talk or are not ready to talk mm. um yeah can, timing's everything yeah isn't it? i was gonna say it really is um we'll have consultations sort of meetings with people in occupational health and if they're not ready to talk it can be a really sort of difficult consultation you're just trying to read between the lines look at the body language try and put the best support in possible for a person but then you might find after two or three sessions that person's then got that trust and confidence Mm. and they you've built up a little bit of a rapport with them then they feel more able to Mm. sort of speak and start talking about the worries what support they need I think sometimes people have got to get past that shock stage as well you know and that can take various Mm. different amounts of time can't it some things feel a little bit too scary to say out loud. Yeah, completely. especially at the beginning mm. when you think, "Oh, okay, I don't know what this means." <laughs> yes, um, and I think then some things. Yeah, you, you. I think there's probably even things I just didn't ever say out loud because they were too scary. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, mm. but again, you get past that and, and find the things you can talk about. And yeah, and we do get the Googlers coming in quite often. <laughs> it's the first thing we all do, isn't it? Like, right, I need yeah. to know what's happening here. They come in, they tell us exactly <clears throat> what they know, what information they've found out, mm. but and they're scared to death. But mm. it's like, no, listen to your consultant. Mm. And if you really do want to find out more information, because some people really do, mm. the more 
armed they are with information, yes. you know, the more in control they feel. So at least then we'll point them in towards some reputable sort yeah. of websites as opposed to just a generalised Google. Something that we talk quite a bit about at Fortis with people when they're going through those kinds of difficult times is about deal with what you know mm. as well. That actually this is what you know at the minute. So yeah. deal with, what, with that step because... We, <laughs> On one hand, it's helpful to have more information for some people so they can feel more in control and feel informed and can be ready for the next step. But for other people, knowing more about it can actually be more overwhelming than anything. And then it becomes, you know, whatever they're going through becomes more scary. So it's kind of finding that balance, isn't it, between having some information, whatever you feel comfortable with, but also dealing with what you know right now. It's funny, actually, because I can remember going to a particular board meeting. I was the first point of contact for the Crime Stoppers charity. And we had a big board meeting and it was at the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner. Um, and it was the afternoon before I was going in first thing the next morning for a double mastectomy. Wow. So, and people couldn't, a few people couldn't get their heads around the fact I could be at work that day. But I was dealing with what I knew, it was fine. I was going in for surgery tomorrow. Mm. I could keep myself busy today because actually I did know what was going on. The harder days were the days where I felt a bit adrift. Mm and then you couldn't focus your mind on something. But well, actually, I knew kind of what I needed to do. And well, you've got so many people said, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be here. And I'm kind of like, yes, I should. Yeah. Today, I should. Because yeah. I, I, I know what's happening right, right now, and I know where I should be tomorrow, and I know what I'm doing this afternoon, and I'm quite comfortable with mm. this. It's like I've got an anchor point, and yeah. that's kind of keeping me steady, even yes. though it's something that's, you know, really yeah. difficult to go through. It's kind of a big deal, what's mm. happening tomorrow, but, I, but it's... It, it's set, I know what it is. Mm. So it was the unknowns that were mm. harder to deal with, I think. How do you, in terms of kind of helping, um, say, you know, managers, leaders, colleagues within the police when you're trying to support someone who's going through that process? I know it's individual to everybody, mm. but what kind of advice would you give it, you know, around being connect, carrying on being connected to the organisation, you know, or the team or the people? Because you've just described there, Jan, about actually that was really important for you, that support network. I imagine, and I see in the therapy that we do, that sometimes people don't want to be connected to anybody for a while. They just need to deal with what they're dealing with and then they can step back inside when they're ready. But how how can you keep connected to the organisation and the team that you work in when you're going through that process? Because it's not short term, is it? It's a long term. It is long term. There were points at which, I mean, when I got into the, because I had the first bout of chemotherapy treatments were eight, so one every three weeks. Mm. And what I did was go to work after the first one, I just went back to work. After the second one, I went back to work. Third one, I had a day. Fourth one, I had a couple of days when I wasn't in. By the time I got to the eighth one, I wasn't in at work. Mm. And, and actually at that point, I couldn't have contemplated keeping in touch with anybody at work, doing no. anything at work. I used to see if I could walk to the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Let's get through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I had set myself, they were always a little physical goal, so I used to do a two-mile walk with the dogs, and at the beginning I, I kind of went to see how much of the two miles can I do. And by the eighth one it was, walk to the bottom of the lawn and turn around and then go back to bed. Um, but that was still enough because I was mm. still up and showing I can do that much and then I could build that back up. And at that point, I had no room for work or colleagues, or I don't think, I think there was probably a point for a few weeks when I probably didn't have any contact, and that was the right thing. Mm. Um, so it fluctuates all the way through. Mm. And, it, and it goes back to that keyword of flexibility. Your manager's got to be listening and observing and flexible and working with you 
and responsive to the lead that you give them mm. um, and there has to be like we said at the beginning an, emo- an enormous amount of trust mm. just before we finish um, Jan you've mentioned walking the dog and that being something that was really helpful yeah. I'm guessing that's still really helpful because we were it talking is. before we started recording about dogs and, um, and you know how, yeah. you, how much you love them is there anything else that you do to kind of look after yourself when you're maybe having those kind of niggly fears or there's, you're feeling kind of under pressure or just generally that you do to look after yourself I, I, do, I do try to keep a balance um, I went through a period of when I was first diagnosed of being incredibly strict anything that anybody suggested might remotely be bad for me was out I lived a very pure life uh, but I remember going to a coffee shop with some friends and I had some green tea and nothing to eat and everyone else was having cappuccinos and, uh, and all sorts of fancy cakes and things and I went to the loo's and cried um, and I thought I can't really do this so you have to have a bit of a balance so I love red wine I allow myself a glass of red wine on a Friday night and a Saturday night but I don't drink a lot because mm. I see drink alcohol is a bit of a risk factor so it's a bit of balance mm. for me I try not to put weight on because I know that would be a risk. So I try to keep that, but I but I still eat chocolate and I still have fun. And yeah. So I think it's all about achieving some level of balance and working out how much do I need to do of the naughty stuff in life that will, that keeps me happy, the, the cappuccino and cake. How much yeah. of it do I need balanced against I am conscious of my health and I do mm. try to, to maintain a sort of good level of health. Mm. And keep that in the forefront of your mind, yeah. and, but also not lose out on some of what life not brings as well. Not be occupied with it, yeah. but just have a sort of a, a subtle consciousness in the back of my mind. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That's what I do. How about you, Lorraine? What do you do to, look, to kind of look after you? I'm an animal lover as well. Oh, okay. So I don't have a dog to walk. I'm desperate for a dog, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can picture you yes, with a dog. Yes, yes, Jan's all over that. <laughs> Yeah, desperate for a dog. It's definitely going to be a retirement present to myself when I eventually get to that age. But I have cats, Mm -hmm. so I find the cats really, really soothing. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, really reduce stress levels, just Mm -hmm. sort of grooming them, stroking Mm -hmm. them, and just them being around, the Mm -hmm. presence of them. There's a reason why pets can be used in therapy. They just bring you back down, don't they? They really, really do. yeah, again, I like a glass of red wine, in moderation, of course. <laughs> we should have brought that today. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> lunchtime. Yeah, lunchtime. Important thing for me is getting enough sleep, because mm. I know I don't feel well psychologically if I don't get enough sleep. Mm. So if I recognise my sleep pattern's not too good, I will try to get into a really regular routine to try and sort of establish a good sleep pattern. Mm. Difficult when I go to work doing that because my natural sleep pattern is getting up about 10 o'clock in the morning and going to bed about two, <laughs> 2 o'clock in the morning so I have to be really careful not to rebet that when mm. I'm on holiday otherwise it's so difficult yeah, it's like retraining yeah. I feel mm. like I've got jet lag just every two weeks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so sleep's really important to me the things that help me psychologically the glass of red wine and sort of the bit of chocolate and things like that that make me happy probably mm. good for me mental health but not so good for my physical health mm. so i need a bit more of a balance there yeah yeah but and it's, it's a it's a i think it can ebb and flow can't it yeah. sometimes you might be really on with certain things and then you have to remind yourself that actually no that really works for me and i need to go i need yeah. to look after like you said about your sleep you get yourself back on track i think it's the same thing sometimes with food and diet oh, and alcohol yeah, and all that kind is. of stuff 
and lastly a trip to the coast mm. I just find some people are countryside people but I'm definitely a coast person mm. just the sound of the sea or mm. walking barefoot on a beach oh, sounds just amazing so amazing especially when it's somewhere hot as well mm. as long as you don't burn your feet <laughs> <laughs> you just think when you've got your dog you'll be able to take the <laughs> by the end of this time. podcast Lorraine will have a dog yeah that's brilliant thanks ever so much both of you um it's been lovely to speak to you thank you thank you thank you for listening to the keeping the peace podcast it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you subscribe you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available we'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts so please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either fortis therapy and training or oscar kilo